We bless you, Lord. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Well, say it with me. The Lord is good, and his mercy endures forever. Amen. You may be seated. Before we get started this morning, I need to, to announce that today is my wife's birthday. I won't say anything more about it, but after the service, make sure you come and wish her a happy birthday and all that good stuff. Amen? Amen. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 24, please. Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 1, and Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation. This word nation is uh, the word uh, ethnos, where we get ethnic and, uh, and other versions of, that, uh, of the word. It's talking about race wars. Nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. And you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure until the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. The word witness means with proof or evidence, talking about the power of God. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. We're living in what I don't know how to, to define or term it other than by saying the last of the last days. We're seeing prophecy fulfilled daily. We're seeing things come to pass that we might have thought just a few years ago, how is this possible? There are two times that the scripture talks about the appearing of Jesus. One is at the end of the tribulation period when he appears in glory with great power to rule over the nations of the earth. But the other time that Jesus comes to us is what is known in theological circles as the rapture. The rapture, the word rapture is not in the Bible, but there are scriptures that refer to the catching away of the church. Now the day of the Lord, or what's called the second coming of Christ, 
is the one at the end of the tribulation period. And, and everybody's going to know when that is. There are things that we can identify that the Bible identifies for us that tells us exactly when the tribulation period starts. It tells us that the tribulation period is seven years exactly. And so then we see anybody could calculate when Jesus returns at the end of the tribulation period. But the rapture of the church, when Jesus comes back to take us out of this earth before the tribulation begins, that's a signless event. Many signs point to the second coming of Jesus, and again, that's the day of the Lord at the end of the tribulation. But the rapture of the church is signless. But there are things that the Bible tells us or refers to us whereby we can know the season that we're in. The race wars that are taking place, the conflict that's taking place in our, in our nation, and all the things surrounding the protests and all the, the, where these are taking place and such. All of those are conditions that Jesus said would be here when he comes for the church. Now, since we know when tribulation starts, I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 38. Genesis chapter 38 is the beginning of the tribulation. It talks about Gog and Magog. Magog is the, the nation of Russia. Gog is the leader of Russia. It could be Putin. We could be that close to the end. As I understand it, if I remember correctly from the things that I've read, he set it up to where he's going to be in charge of things over there until he dies. So it's very possible that we're already acquainted with who Gog is. And I don't want to read the whole chapter. It's, it's good, but it will take us away from the thing that I really want to get to. But let me read a couple of scriptures. Let me start in verse 1. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and prophesy against him. Notice it's an individual. Gog is a person. And say, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and I will turn thee back and put hooks into thy jaws, and I will bring thee forth and all thine army, Horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company with bufflers and shields, all of them handling swords. Then it tells the other countries that will be aligned with Russia when they come in to uh, invade Israel. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya with them, all of them with shield and helmet. Gomer and all of his bands, the house of Tagarma and of the north quarters, and all his bands, and many people with thee. Be thou prepared, and prepare for thyself, thou and all thy company that are assembled unto thee, and be thou a guard unto them. Let me skip down to verse 10. Thus saith the Lord God, it shall also come to pass, that at the same time shall things come into thy mind, and thou shalt think an evil thought. And thou shalt say, I will go up, to the land of unwalled villages. I will go to them that are at rest, 
that dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having, great, and having neither bars nor gates, to take a spoil and to take a prey, to turn thine hand upon the desolate places that are now inhabited and upon the people that are gathered out of all the nations, which have gotten thee cattle and goods that dwell in the midst of the land. Now, with the, the things that, and we didn't read them all, there are some also included in Ezekiel 39. This identifies the beginning point of the tribulation because it tells us, the scripture tells us, that this army of Russia and Iran, Persia, Ethiopia, and other Muslim nations, primarily Muslim nations, it's primarily a Muslim army that Russia assembles and comes down through the north through Syria to attack Israel. And it tells us what they were coming for. It says they came to take a spoil. They're going to come for food. There are things that are taking place in the world around us just with this coronavirus and the lockdown and all the things that have happened where economies have stalled that the, the hunger that will be experienced in much of the world, mostly third world nations, but not exclusively. But there are going to be famines that are going to kill millions of people. They already know that from the things that have taken place, the disruption of the orders and the supply chains and things like that around the world. They already have calculated the death toll, whether things get better or things get worse with the coronavirus. It's already had an impact on the world in such a degree that it'll spark famines, probably in the fall, maybe late fall, but it'll spark famines that are greater than anything other than catastrophic events that have happened throughout the, the history of the world. But notice verse 10 tells us the condition I'm sorry, it's verse 11. Notice it says that Russia and the leader of Russia will say, I will go up unto the land of unwalled villages. I will go to them that are at rest, that dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates. It identifies a time of peace for Israel. Let me read you an article. This was printed, uh, published yesterday. I saw it on Breitbart News. I won't read the whole thing, but let me read a little bit of it to you. Something extraordinary is happening in the Middle East, and for once it's something good. Over the past several weeks, Arabs and Muslim countries have been stepping forward to offer peace and good relations with Israel. First, there was the United Arab Emirates, the UAE, which is establishing full normalization with the Jewish state and will formalize an agreement at the White House later this month. And then there was Kosovo, which is establishing relations with Israel and putting an embassy in Jerusalem under the terms of the deal brokered by the Trump administration last week. Then Chad, a majority Muslim nation, announced earlier this week that it will be putting an embassy in Jerusalem. Saudi Arabia announced that it will allow Israeli commercial flights above its airspace not just to Dubai, but to all eastbound de destinations. The Palestinian Authority tried to convince the Arab League to denounce the, UA the UAE's peace deal 
and the Arab League refused to do so. Folks, that's huge. And on Friday, the 19th anniversary of 9-11, Bahrain announced that it too would normalize relations with Israel. It was a, a profound statement of peace defying the efforts of terrorists to set the world on a path to endless religious war. Other nations too are stepping forward to improve ties with Israel. Serbia is moving its embassy to Jerusalem as part of the Serbia-Kosovo agreement and the African nation of Malawi is following suit. The acceptance of a Jewish state in the Middle East by its Muslim and Arab neighbors is emboldening other countries to develop closer links with Israel. These closer links with Israel have been long desired, but they've been feared to forge up until now. More nations, both in the Middle East and beyond, are likely to follow suit in the coming weeks. This is a miraculous development, one, with, one, that, the forest, and one that the foreign policy establishment in Washington, D.C. said was impossible. But it is happening thanks to President Donald Trump. And thou shalt say, I will go up into the land of unwalled villages, and I will go to them that are at rest, that dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates. Folks, we're seeing prophecy fulfilled before our eyes. We are in the last days. I believe we are in the last of the last days. Now, we've always, I've always thought, and I, I, thinking back, I'm not sure anybody ever, ever preached it this way, but it's the way that I assumed things would be, I guess, based on the things that were taught and the things that were preached. I've always thought that if the rapture happens on Friday, then the tribulation begins on Saturday. But there's nothing in the Bible that says that to be the case. We don't know whether there will be time between the rapture of the church and the beginning of the tribulation period. It would stand to reason that there wouldn't be a long period of time between the rapture of the church and the beginning of the tribulation, especially where it's talking about Israel and the peace that they're experiencing. I can't help but think that when the church is out of here, since the church is identified as the only restraint to the Antichrist being revealed, it's possible we know who the Antichrist is already. Or maybe a better way to say that is it's possible that the Antichrist is alive and recognized in the earth, just not in that position. He could already be in place for when the church to leave. Then he steps in. And he really begins to take authority and exercise his dominion after this Russia war, Russia and its coalition armies, Muslim armies war. Because the Bible says that those people are defeated, those armies are defeated in a 24-hour period. So it's possible that day two of the tribulation marks the beginning or the rise of the Antichrist. We just don't know for sure. But having said that about the church being the restraint, 
the only restraint to the Antichrist appearing and beginning his work. I can't expect, it doesn't seem to me, and again, this is just my opinion, you judge it for yourself, but I can't imagine the world staying on track for very long after the church leaves. Now, I want you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 12. Your Bible should probably already fall through that opening over the last several months. But let's look again at something the Bible tells us about the devil and the devil, the way the devil operates. Verse 7, and there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought in his angels, and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. Folks, you have to realize the spirit of the world is the spirit of deception. If deceiving, if deception is the devil's tool, if it's the only avenue, and the Bible says it is the only road he travels to exercise his influence over the, church, over the, the world and over governments, then the spirit of the world would have to be deception. So Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, and he cast them, God cast him out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives to the death. Let me stop here and make a couple of comments. I want you to notice that even though the Bible is going to tell us in a few verses uh, that further that we'll read in just a moment, where the Bible tells us that the devil knows that he has but a short time and that as a result of that he operates with great wrath against the church, against the people of God, even though it says all these things about the devil's operation and the devil's attempt to bring everybody under deception. I want you to realize that the only position that the Bible speaks of relative to the church is having overcome him. The Bible says they overcame. It doesn't say this is how they can overcome it says the church overcame him. Now it does tell us how. But as far as God is concerned, the, world, the church is already victorious. Now you know as well as I do, there are going to be a lot of Christians that don't overcome. And by that I don't mean they don't make heaven. They don't make the rapture. But instead what I'm talking about is there are a lot of Christians that will never receive the blessings of God, the benefits of salvation, outside of or other than the forgiveness of sins. All those blessings, every blessing, everything that we receive from God, we receive through faith and patience. You know as well as I do, not all the church world believes in faith. 
outside of or beyond accepting salvation through Jesus' blood. Let's go back to reading a little bit more. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. And when the dragon saw that she was cast out into the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. And let's skip down a little bit to verse 17. And the dragon was wroth with the woman, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keeps the commandments of God and has the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now the woman is talking about is an illustration, it's a, a reference to Israel. But it's not just talking about Israel as far as the nation of Israel is concerned, because the nation of Israel really has over, overall rejected Jesus as the Messiah. There's coming a time where that'll change. But here where it says he's making war with the woman, Israel, and with those who've accepted the blood of Jesus as their salvation, have the testimony of Jesus, that's talking not about natural Israel alone. It's talking about spiritual Israel, which is the church. Paul wrote to the Romans, he said, not all Israel is Israel. In other words, what he's saying is the type of the people of God, the family of God, is fulfilled by the nation of Israel, the appearance of the nation of Israel, by us making Jesus the Lord of our lives. Not by being a natural descendant of Abraham, but by being a natural descendant of Jesus Christ. That's what he means when he says not all Israel is Israel. So here where he's talking about making war against Israel, it's primarily talking about making war against the church. Now after the rapture, the only Israel there is left on the earth is the nation of Israel. And there are a lot of things, a few scriptures that we just jumped over here in, verse, in chapter 12. There are a lot of things that the Bible tells us that Satan and the Antichrist will do to try to destroy the nation of Israel. But until the rapture of the church, the Israel that the devil's making war against is the church itself. So if Jesus considers the church to have overcome, then what's left to do before Jesus appears to us for the rapture. What's left to be done? Well, in one sense, there's nothing left to be done. There's nothing else that has to happen before Jesus can come back. But God, on several occasions, refers to the glory of the Lord being seen. The Bible talks about the gospel being preached with power and with evidence before the end comes. How far away are we, folks? It's right around the corner. 
It's right around the corner. So we see that the devil's operation is to make war against the church. There have been some things that the Lord has been dealing with me about and that I've been talking about, teaching on, ever since we came back from our lockdown. You may remember several months ago, we were forced to shut our doors. I'm not sure how long we stayed shut. But we came back after talking to the law enforcement. We decided to go ahead and open up before anybody said we could. And we're not trying to do that to make a statement against the governor or the powers that be. We just know that we're supposed to have church. Amen. And God's protected us. We've had lots of people come by on their way to the park and see the cars in the parking lot and ask what's going on. And we're not trying to hide anything from anybody. We tell them we're going to have church. And we have not received one negative comment. People that wouldn't dream of coming to this church are glad that we're open. Let me shift gears a little bit here. Many of you know the background of, that Beth and I have with Brother Hagen, Kenneth E. Hagen. We both went to school there in Tulsa many, many moons ago. But we both had the opportunity to have a personal relationship with Brother Hagen because of the jobs that we had there working with their ministry. I didn't have a real great relationship with my dad. And the reason I didn't is because he, didn't, he wasn't a man of his word. Now, he would be to other people, but not to his family. There were people that worked with him. He was a contractor for much of his life. There were people that were acquainted with him through business that would swear by his word He was known to be a, a very, maybe completely honest man in business. But we couldn't trust, we, me and my family, we couldn't trust anything he said. And there were promises that he made to me and things that he declared that he would do that he never followed up on. And you know, if that happens once or twice, it's kind of like, well, okay, we can overlook it. But when it happens over and over and over again, I woke up one day and realized, I don't mean literally woke up, but I just realized one day that this is the way that it is. This is the way that it's going to be. I can't change him. I can't change what he does. And with that kind of foundation, there's not much relationship that can be built. And so I wound up going to Tulsa, going to Ramah, the school there 
that Brother Hagin's ministry founded. And the Lord put me in a position almost right away, just within the first couple of weeks of being there. The Lord put me in a situation where I was having personal contact with Brother Hagin. That turned into a job where I was working with him in his crusades. And I had the chance to get to know him personally. One of the greatest blessings in my life was for Brother Hagin to be my spiritual father. Because where I saw the lack of integrity of my dad's words, if Brother Hagin said something to you, if he promised you something or if he made a statement, you could bank on that no matter what happened. And he's the first man that I was ever around that I realized that about. I'm sure there are a lot of other people that might be the same way, but I didn't know any of them. And Brother Hagin was a man in which the wisdom of God flowed through in such great measure that I couldn't help but be drawn to him because of the way that he allowed the word of God to dictate everything he did in his life. There was no pretense about him. He wasn't looking to make a name for himself. The truth be told, if, he was, if it was possible, he would have preferred to be in the background and nobody ever know him or see him doing anything whatsoever. And as a result of having this relationship with Brother Hagin, God taught me so many things. We were somewhere in... Um, the middle of a, a campaign at a crusade we'd have morning and uh, evening meetings and after the morning meeting brother Hagen had spent talking about spent the, the uh, majority of the service talking about his healing and how God led him and how the Holy Ghost directed him and so on and so forth did uh, went into a great deal of detail much more so than normal And I was driving him back to the hotel, I guess. I know we were in the car. I don't remember what the other circumstances were. But I was driving him in the car, and we got to talking a little bit about the things that he had shared. And he told the story a little bit differently, and it shed a little bit of different light on it. And by that time, I had been working with him for several years, and I knew the story backwards and forwards. I thought I knew every detail about it, but he surprised me with a couple of details that morning. And so we were talking about it a little bit. And then I just made this statement. I said, Dad, I don't think most people would have made it if they were in your situation. And then I said, by most people, I mean 99% of the crowd. He got quiet for a little bit which was his normal state of being. I think one of the reasons Brother Hagin liked me to the degree that he did was because I didn't, wouldn't have to always be talking. He and I just sit there watching TV, not saying a word, sometimes for hours. I didn't put any pressure on him to talk. 
And I, I was smart enough to know I was too dumb to know what to say. <laughs> but when I told him, Dad, I don't think most people would have made it in your situation. He got quiet, and then he, after a minute or so, he said, you know, Mike, I've never thought of it like that. I think you're probably right. And a couple of weeks later in a service, I heard him make that statement. Which told me that it was something that he really had considered by his own words the first time. So here's a question I've got for you. Revelation chapter 12, where we just read, it says, The devil has come unto us with great wrath. It says he knows his time is short. Now the implication there, it doesn't come out and say it, but the implication there is the last days will be the greatest days of Satan's wrath against the church. Let's stop and think about that for a minute. Does that mean he's been taking it easy on us up to now? Now I might be misinterpreting this. You've got the Holy Ghost just like I do. You decide for yourself. But it seems to indicate that the closer and closer we get to the end, the bigger and bigger things the devil is going to try to do against us and against the church. This lockdown probably figures into that to some degree. Never before in the history of this country has religious, has religious freedom been squashed to the degree that we see it happening now? And it came out of nowhere. And it came because of a virus whose, survivor, whose survivability rate is 99.06%. You've got to get into the hundreds of a, a percent to calculate the death toll. Now, don't get me wrong. A lot of people have still died from this thing. And one death is too much if we have the ability to stop it. But we've been put on hold. We, the country, have been put on hold by a virus whose test results are often inaccurate, who have symptoms in some cases and don't have symptoms in other cases. And the world has been brought to a halt in comparison to what things were before the lockdown took place. By that kind of virus, that kind of disease. If we look at the things the devil is doing, what he has done, and what he wants to do now to us, as described by the scripture, I look back at some things that I've experienced over these last 10 years. 
I've been struggling with something, standing, well, I say struggling. I struggle with the symptoms sometimes. But the issue is settled. But when I look back over some things that happened, some of the circumstances surrounding the attack that the devil has made on, on me and by virtue of the fact that I'm the pastor of the church, the attack that he's had on our church. I stand amazed. Folks, healing comes in one of two ways, either instantly or progressively. The woman with the issue of blood touched the hem of Jesus' garment because she heard about him, heard that he was healing and had healing power. She touched the hem of his garment and straightway she felt in her body immediately that she was healed of that plague. Her healing came instantly. But the ten lepers were healed as they went. That's progressively. It wasn't an instantaneous thing with them. So we see in Jesus' ministry that both progressively and instantaneously, the power of God worked to restore people to, to divine health. In March of 2011, my hands started shaking uncontrollably. I immediately began to speak the word of God. I was already well-versed on what the Bible says about healing. I was teaching healing school every Sunday night, talking about the subject of healing. And I immediately began speaking the word. Well, over the next several months, there were other symptoms that presented themselves. The two greatest symptoms was a lack of strength. I couldn't hardly stand up to preach. And then the second symptom, and these both started about the same time as I recall. The second symptom was I started having trouble breathing. I don't mean getting enough air to survive. I mean that I couldn't breathe and talk at the same time. About a year after the symptoms first began, I went to the doctor and he diagnosed Parkinson's disease. And doing a little bit of research on that, I found out that controlling your breath is one of the main difficulties. Breathing is involuntary. It's an involuntary action that's built into your body. But when that shortness of breath, that difficulty breathing, comes on you, it takes all of your effort to think about breathing. You got to think, inhale. You have to think, exhale. 
And that was a whole new ball of wax for me. There were things that I recognized in my, my thinking. My mental acuity was beginning to diminish and decrease. I've always had the Word of God from the time that I first went to Bible school and began renewing my mind, which was in 1980. So you can see I had a, a good number of years to establish a foundation. But my mind wouldn't grasp the next thing that I wanted to say. Folks, I have great sympathy and compassion for Joe Biden. I know what it's like for your brain to betray you. It hurts my heart for him every time I see him try to make a public statement or a public appearance. Don't get me wrong, I don't have enough sympathy to vote for him. <laughs> but I see very clearly what's happening to him. Because I experienced a lot of the same thing myself. I've never heard of anything taking this long when it comes to healing of the physical body. Smith Wigglesworth fought kidney stones for a seven-year period of time while he's having miracles in his services and healings that were just phenomenal, mind-boggling. Seven years is a long time, but I blew by that some time ago. Well, since healing is one of two ways, either instantaneous or progressive, it became pretty apparent to me which way the mind was going to come. And I think I can say, just like I told Brother Hagen, I don't think most people would have made it. The Lord's had me do a lot of teaching on the parable of the sower sowing the word in Mark chapter 4. And it talks about different types of people by illustrating, illustrating the, the difference by different types of ground. It talks about the stone of the wayside, the seed that's sown by the wayside where Satan immediately comes and takes away the word from their hearts. It talks about the stony ground where people begin and get excited about the word but then affliction or persecution arises and they become offended and quit folks over these last nine years I've had tremendous opportunities to get frustrated and offended and quit the parable talks about those that are sown among the, where the seed is sown among thorns where the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things Choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. But then there are the people on the good ground which give attention to the word and bring forth fruit, some 30, some 60, and some 100-fold. 
Now, folks, if this parable that Jesus gives us is representative of the truth, then that means only 25% of the people that hear the word are going to produce any fruit in their lives. Of that, one-third, or about 8%, are going to produce hundred-fold results. What makes the difference in those people? What makes the difference in people that hold on, people that let go? What makes the difference between people that refuse to allow affliction or persecution to distract them or to make them let go of the truth of the word? What determines whether or not somebody allows the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things to turn them away from the word too? What is it that makes that difference? Well, as near as I'm able to identify, folks, the thing that makes the difference between the good ground and even the hundredfold ground and people that don't re produce anything, they let go of the word, is the degree to which the word of God is the answer for the person who's in, standing in faith. See, if the word of God is your answer, then how can you let go? If the word of God is what it purports itself to be, Paul said in Romans chapter uh, 1 verse 16, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. That's the good news of Jesus, who he is and what he's done for us and what he purchased for us through the sacrifice of his blood. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation that word salvation is an all-inclusive term it means to deliver to rescue to make safe make sound and to make whole or heal paul said the word of god is the power of god to those ends or to that end all of those things make up what we call salvation although not everybody in the church world will accept that to be true that's what the wording itself means The degree to which the word of God is your answer determines what kind of person you're going to be. Whether you have faith or you don't. Or whether you have a measure of faith, strong faith or weak faith. That one simple thing. That one simple thing. Determines your outcome, and what you receive from God. Is the word of God your answer? It sure is mine. We've heard testimonies throughout this lockdown, throughout all the things that are going on at this present time, businesses that have shuttered their doors and other businesses that are not able to, to open, have been refused to open. We've heard miraculous testimonies of how God kept people going. The different ways that God has worked in the lives of his people. I'm just talking about people in our church. And I cannot help but believe that the reason for that is because we've always presented the word of God as the answer. 
There are people that have left our church that I found out later, nobody's ever told me this, but that I've heard after the fact that they said the reason that they left was because they didn't believe in the teaching of healing as we teach it here because of the circumstances that they saw in me. Now, folks, I've got to tell you, that's what's so ridiculous about this Paul's thorn in the flesh being sickness. There's no way Paul could have instilled faith in other people to get healed if God had told him that he couldn't be healed himself. It's impossible. There's no way Acts 14 talks about the guy at Lystra where they preached the gospel. And the crippled man got faith to be healed. Now, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. So the only way, the only way that he could have received faith to be healed is if he heard Paul preaching healing as part of the gospel. If Paul had been preaching on water baptism or just forgiveness of sins, then the crippled man might have had faith to be saved or faith to be baptized. But since the Bible specifically says he had faith to be healed, it necessitates without a shadow of a doubt that Paul had to preach healing as part of his gospel. How could he have instilled that kind of faith in somebody if the story was true that God told him that he wouldn't, couldn't be healed because God was trying to humble him concerning the revelations he had? It's ludicrous. It's a, it's a great line of deception that the devil has imposed upon the church, the church world as, as a whole. But it just does not bear scrutiny. So I've heard that there are some that have left because it's taken as long as it, it has. And they thought that if I was really in faith, then things wouldn't have gone this far or this long. And like I said before, I've never heard of it taking this long for anybody. But let me share something with you. These are things the devil brings to my mind daily. There are plenty of accusations that the devil has made and makes continuously, all because of the period of time that's passed. But God has been so faithful. It seems to have fallen to me, at least up to this point, to exercise my faith and beat back the symptoms of this Parkinson's stuff, one by one. And whereas it started, or early on, it was a frustrating experience for me, it's turned out to be one of the most honorable situations that I've ever experienced. It's been, it's been the greatest honor of my life to beat back every symptom that's come against me.
Now, don't get me wrong. There are still some things yet to be done. But this last January, Beth and I went over to Temecula to a friend of ours' church because some other friends were holding some meetings there. And so we went, not just for the services, but to see them have some time of fellowship and that kind of thing. And one morning at the hotel before we were going out to the morning service, Beth was still getting ready. And I was sitting in the, we had a little bedroom suite type thing where it had a little sitting area that wasn't connected to the bedroom. And I was sitting in that little sitting area. And I'd been reading my Bible, been praying a little bit in other tongues. And just got to the place where I wasn't really thinking anything. I was just sitting there. Now the day before had been a particularly tough day for me. Because the symptoms that remained were in full force. And so I was sitting there. Like I said, not really thinking anything. And all of a sudden I had a vision. And in that vision... I saw myself, particularly my mind, restored to full strength. There were some other things about it. There were some other things that, that the Lord, well, other things I've been believing for. I don't just believe for my healing. I do the best I can to go on and live a, a normal life, meaning trusting God for other things outside of my healing like I would if the, the healing was already manifested. So there were several things that he talked to me about. But I saw myself with my mind restored to full strength. And there was something else about it. God has been so faithful. He's quickened his word to me in times and places where if I hadn't had it, I would have, I don't know what I would have done. There have been dreams that he's given me pertaining to the word and pertaining to the things that I'm believing for that came at just the right time. Now here I had this vision. And along with the vision where I saw myself restored to full strength, I'm talking about my mind. There was such joy attached to it. It was unlike anything I've ever experienced. I immediately thought of what, Paul, of what Peter talked about. How that we rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. And that's the best I know how to describe it. Folks, I'm still living off that feeling I had in that one second where the Lord gave me this vision. It was unlike anything I've ever experienced. It was unlike any other joy that I've ever felt. Every time I've needed it, God gave me something. Well, how are things? Folks, I believe. And the devil's really on me about this too, pretty regularly. 
he tells me that I shouldn't sh share the things that have gone on. And, of course, he's always there to, to, to remind me or to claim that if I tell you the, the situation as it is and the symptoms that I'm still dealing with, that that's speaking doubt rather than faith. The problem is he doesn't know my heart. Because the reality is this. Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses. And with his stripes I'm healed. The reality is the prayer of faith which I have prayed heals the sick. And the Lord will raise him up. So my profession of faith is that the Lord is raising me up. My confession of faith is that my faith is giving substance to my healing. But I'm also aware that during this thing, I'm supposed to be, well, this, was, this is a terrible way to say it. I started to say I'm supposed to be honest, but I'm honest with you all the time. But there, is, there are times, and I thank God that it's not often, but there are times I'm supposed to tell you things about my situation because you're believing for things too. You're standing in faith for things too, just like I am. And you know as well as I do how discouraging the devil wants to, or how much he wants to bring discouragement on us. So that we turn loose. But do you remember what it said in Revelation chapter 12? They overcame them. The victory of the church. They overcame them. By the blood of the lamb. And by the word of their testimony. How much is the word of God your answer? That's really what it comes down to folks. That's what everything comes down to. You remember in Numbers chapter 14, there are two things that God said in that chapter that are eternal and unchanging. One is that the earth will be filled with the glory of God. The other is, as you have spoken in God's ear, so will he do unto you. If you just knew those two things as a Christian, you'd get farther than most of the Christians on the earth today. God's glory will be seen. All the earth shall see and know the glory of God. And your words do count. Your words dictate what you have. Your words dictate who you'll be. And what you will have. God made some awesome statements about his glory. He said the glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former. And in this place, in this place he will give peace. This gospel shall be preached in all the world 
for a witness with proof and evidence, with power and miracles and signs and wonders, and then shall the end come. That's our job, folks. In a nutshell, that's the job of the church. That's the job of the believer. To share the gospel in the name of Jesus and expect God to confirm his word with signs following. The only thing I can tell you for sure, and I've asked the Lord about this, the only thing I can tell you for sure is that the length, the duration, the circumstances of this thing that I've been fighting for nine years going on ten is that it has something to do with the church. It has something to do with the work God has for our church to do in the last days. I don't know exactly all there is. There's one part of it that the Lord's already told me. It was one of the, the other things that the Lord showed me in the vision, the January vision. I saw healing manifesting itself in our church in a phenomenal way. Far greater than anything we've ever seen before. We've had some outstanding miracles and healing testimonies throughout the years among our church people. But this was something on such a different level. Something in such a greater measure that it really doesn't even compare. Beyond that, I don't have any answers on why things have gone so long. Or why it's worked out the way that it has. But again, beating back symptom after symptom after symptom has been one of the greatest honors of my life. I've learned how to rejoice in the middle of tribulation. I thought I knew before, but there's a real difference in doing it, experiencing it yourself, and just preaching from theory. I've always said I'd rather learn faith from people with scars. Well, it looks like I am one of those now. God's word is more precious to me than I ever thought it could be. Because I found it to be my answer. In every way. In every situation. In every circumstance. God's word is your answer. Let's pray. Father, we bless your holy name. I thank you, Father, for the Holy Ghost who leads us and guides us into all truth. I thank you that just as he's led me into the reality of my healing, so would he do to every one of us. Father, I pray that you would cement in our hearts the reality, the truth, that your word is our answer and it's the only answer there is. 
we say with Paul that we're not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it's the power of God to rescue us, to deliver us, to make us safe, to make us sound, and to heal our mortal bodies. Thank you, Lord, for the work that you're doing in each and every one of us. Thank you, Father, for bringing your word to pass. You are so faithful. You're so faithful to give us what we need when we need it. You're so faithful to prepare us for the next thing that comes. You're so faithful to show us things to come. We commit to you, Father, that we will be those of faith that Jesus will find when he comes. We will be those who declare in the name of Jesus the word of God to be the answer in every way every time and in every respect in Jesus precious name amen amen let's all stand together we're going to stay for a few minutes and pray after the service so if you can stay with us we invite you to do so if you have to go we understand thanks for being with us this morning we're still putting up the services for Sunday night healing school and Wednesday night midweek service if you can tune in on those I believe they'll be a blessing to you God bless you